concept of live for today and forget about tomorrow permeates much of postmodern culture, especially among our youth. It is a nihilistic refrain of meaninglessness and is the natural outcome of evolutionary theory, which for most people is a replacement for God. But have you ever considered that without a higher power, a creator of life, there can be no purpose, no greater cause, no hope beyond this physical, animalistic existence? Therefore, the refrain is, live for today, grab all the pleasure you can along the way, because that's it. We enter cosmic blackness and darkness forever. Evolution as we know it today wasn't around 1900 years ago. But this same hopeless refrain was, as a man named Paul explains, If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But is there hope for the future? Are we indeed the product of blind evolutionary forces, no more than lucky accidents? If so, there can be no hope beyond the grave. But what if those living for today are wrong? Then what? Consider this. Either we are a part of a cosmic accident called life, or we are the product of design by a greater power. There can be no other alternatives. If we truly did evolve, live for today is a viable, some would think rational, philosophy for life. Take care of number one. Forget the rules, just don't get caught. But what if? We are here as a part of a grand design, a great plan by a superior being who created life. What if he holds out a future beyond this physical life of 70 or so years? Live for today may no longer make sense, and in fact, it doesn't. There was a time when some thought religion was only for the uneducated, but millions in China are proving that assumption to be incorrect. While we see the philosophy of meaninglessness thrive in some parts of our world, some of China's leaders are placing spirituality as a high priority. They correctly recognize the shortcomings of a self-centered, meaningless existence and how it affects society as a whole. However, the question remains, if there is meaning and purpose to life, what is it? Is meaning merely a matter of opinion? or is a great purpose established by a creator of all that exists? Stay tuned. You may be thankful you did. Welcome to all of you from Tomorrow's World and the Living Church of God, the sponsor of this program, where we live for today and for the future. Nihilism is a philosophy without hope. It is the rejection of morality and religion. It discards the very idea of a purposeful existence. Such a philosophy has always been around, but Charles Darwin's ideas certainly didn't do it any harm. In effect, he taught that you can have life without a life giver. And this rejection of God has serious implications on how people live. 
For some, this is displayed in rebellion, drugs, and anarchy. For others, it is displayed by the pursuit of wealth as an end in itself. But contrary to popular youthful misconceptions, we do grow old, and when we do, we wonder, what's it all about? Am I coming to a dark end, or is there some greater purpose for my life? Maybe, just maybe, there is a God. It's difficult, isn't it, to imagine not being anymore, never knowing anything, never having another thought, never interacting with anyone, never able to see or hear again, just the blackness of darkness forever. But is it just possible that life after death is possible? If so, think about it. Does eternal life depend upon decisions you make in this life? Will you come to the end of your life only to realize that you squandered an incredibly great opportunity? To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org to read or order your free copy of Your Ultimate Destiny. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine. Call 1-866-784-7895. Call today. We're all made of something we call matter. That's dirt, rocks, and trees. That's you and me. We rarely think about it, but what is it? Where did it come from? The casual observer rarely, if ever, thinks about it. After all, it's always been here, hasn't it? Scientists who study these things say not. Most are convinced that our universe and all that's in it came into being in an instant of time. Scientists tell us that matter is made up of atoms, and atoms are composed of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Protons and neutrons make up the nucleus of the atom, while electrons swirl around the nucleus. Now, I don't want to lose you with too much detail, but here's something you may not know about these building blocks of everything we see around us, including that image you see in the mirror each morning when you shave or put on your makeup. The most popular theory is that our universe began with the Big Bang, or some variation of it. For some irrational reason, a lot of professing Christians reject such a notion, believing that it threatens their belief in God. But in reality, it does just the opposite. The Big Bang, if proven true, says that there was a beginning. There was a time when matter did not exist, but came into existence in an instant of time. And it's difficult to explain why that happened if there is no God. What caused it? Recent research confirms that there was a Big Bang of sorts. Of sorts because several theories have modified earlier ideas on the subject. Instead of a rapidly expanding ball of fire as in the Big Bang, cosmic inflation theory says the universe suddenly and extremely rapidly inflated from a tiny piece of space. What was small beyond our understanding became incredibly large in a fraction of a second. Bill Bryson, in A Short History of Nearly Everything, explains, Protons are so small that a little dib of ink, like the dot on this eye, can hold something in the region of 500 billion of them. 
So protons are exceedingly microscopic, to say the very least. Now imagine if you can, and of course you can't, shrinking one of those protons down to a billionth of its normal size, into a space so small that it would make a proton look enormous. Now pack into that tiny, tiny space about an ounce of matter. Excellent. You are ready to start a universe. Then Bryson makes this astounding statement. And so from nothing, our universe begins. Do you realize that the Bible scooped Bryson by nearly 6,000 years? Here it is in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What is hidden in this verse is the meaning of the word created in its original language. The theological word book of the Old Testament explains the meaning of the Hebrew word bara. The word lends itself well to the concept of creation ex nihilio. In other words, from nothing. Here we see science and the Bible in agreement, except the Bible declared this truth several thousand years before scientists figured it out. Of course, we could discuss at great length what is meant by nothing, but clearly it was from something so minute in size as to be considered nothing. That material was most likely energy, tightly packed into a space one billion times smaller than a proton, prior to an incredibly rapid expansion. Just how rapid was that expansion? Two Stanford University physicists believe they have found direct evidence supporting and describing cosmic expansion. Almost 14 billion years ago, the universe we inhabit burst into existence in an extraordinary event that initiated the Big Bang. In the first fleeting fraction of a second, the universe expanded exponentially, stretching far beyond the view of today's best telescopes. Now that's rather profound if it's true, so let me read it again. In the first fleeting fraction of a second, the universe expanded exponentially, stretching far beyond the view of today's best telescopes. Now that's a fast expansion, far surpassing the speed of light. This article goes on to say, All this, of course, has just been theory. But researchers from the BICEP2 collaboration today announced the first direct evidence supporting this theory, known as cosmic inflation. Their data also represent the first images of gravitational waves or ripples in space-time. These waves have been described as the first tremors of the Big Bang. Now some might disagree with scientists' current assessment of the age of the universe. But that is a subject of a previous Tomorrow's World program. The point of this discussion is that some of the greatest scientific minds firmly believe that there was a time when our universe did not exist, but it came into existence in an instant. And in their attempt to understand it, they focus on the first fractions of the first second. But how did this matter or energy come to be loaded up for the bang, expansion, or whatever else one wants to call it. What was there before the bang? Where did that ounce of matter or energy come from? How did it get squeezed into such an incredibly small space and then explode into the myriad galaxies, stars, planets, and everything we label as part of our universe? And what is matter anyway? 
Well, the Bible is not a book of science. It records this fact of science that most people read right over. Notice this absolutely amazing biblical statement. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. This was written sometime between 60 and 70 A.D., long before atoms and their invisible building blocks of protons, neutrons, electrons, and quarks were discovered. Here again we see science and the Bible in agreement. Now the point of all this is that our universe, how it came into being, what it's made of, and what we are made of is far more incredible and amazing than we might first imagine. For you and me to exist is a miracle. Everything we know about the elements of the earth, laws such as gravity and centrifugal force, the laws that cause some atoms to bond together while others are repelled by one another, and the balance of all things should never be taken for granted. Here's what Bryson tells us about a few, just a few of the many things that had to happen just right for us to have a universe and hence to have a life on this planet. What is extraordinary from our point of view is how well it turned out for us. If the universe had formed just a tiny bit differently, if gravity were fractionally stronger or weaker, if the expansion had proceeded just a little more slowly or swiftly, then there might never have been stable elements to make you and me and the ground we stand on. Had gravity been a trifle stronger, the universe itself might have collapsed like a badly erected tent without precisely the right values to give it the right dimensions and density in component parts. Had it been weaker, however, nothing would have coalesced. The universe would have remained forever a dull, scattered void. In many ways, our existence is far more remarkable than we can imagine. If we are to assume that we are the result of chance, we must conclude that we are incredibly lucky, a fact that Bryson, an avowed evolutionist, freely admits. If this book has a lesson, it is that we are awfully lucky to be here, and by we I mean every living thing. To attain any kind of life in this universe of ours appears to be quite an achievement. Mr. Bryson is clearly looking at life from a naturalistic perspective. He writes nearly 500 pages explaining the miracle of the universe and the miracle of life, yet chalks it all up to good luck or good fortune. At one point he goes so far as to say it is impossible for even a single protein to naturally form, and gives the odds of it happening as one chance in 10 to the power of 260. That's one chance and one with 260 zeros following it. As Bryson rightly says, and I quote, it's just not going to happen. And he clarifies this by saying that that's a larger number than the number of atoms in the known universe, which by the way is calculated to be about 10 to the power of 82. So here's what the number of atoms in the universe looks like. Here are the odds of one protein happening without an intelligence behind it. And we're made up of perhaps as many as a million different kinds of proteins, yet Bryson believes every one of them somehow evolved by blind chance. 
Now that's real faith. To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org to read or order your free copy of Your Ultimate Destiny. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine. Call 1-866-784-7895. Call today. Lest anyone think I'm picking on Mr. Bryson, let me add that I found his book fascinating and most informative. He's an excellent researcher and writer. I just have to disagree, not with his facts, but with some of his conclusions. My now-deceased Uncle George was a lifelong atheist and a rather radical one at that. He was brilliant in some ways, but in other ways very foolish. He was an avid follower of Carl Sagan's fascinating television series, Cosmos, A Personal Voyage. Sagan was an astronomer a cosmologist, an astrophysicist, and an astrobiologist, but most of all, he was a gifted science communicator. One evening, my Uncle George and I sat down to watch one of his favorite episodes of Cosmos, and at the end, Sagan calculated based on mankind's proclivity for war and the kind of weapons now available, the probability of mankind surviving to the end of the 21st century. The odds were definitely against our survival, to which my Uncle George said, what a shame. But my question is why? If we are a cosmic accident and are only here for an instant, what difference does it make whether life on this planet continues or comes to an abrupt end? If there is no life beyond the grave, you'll never know what happened, and neither will anyone else. Whatever temporary pleasures one has today are meaningless. In that case, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That was the way my Uncle George lived. But what if, yes, what if he was wrong? The same book that tells us that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible also tells us that there truly is the possibility of life after death. Former British Prime Minister Sir Winston Churchill believed that great events in this world are not a matter of chance but design. He declared, I will say that he must indeed have a blind soul who cannot see that some great purpose and design is being worked out here below. Yes, indeed. But what is that purpose? Numerous religions teach that there is life after death, often some kind of celestial LSD trip or being hand-fed grapes by beautiful virgins, or staring into the face of God forever. Others think you will come back in some other life form, perhaps as a dog or an elephant, or maybe as another human being. There's also the idea of eternal punishment in flames of fire, but none of these ideas come from the Bible. Have you ever considered that it might be wise to at least explore the possibility that there could be some truly grand purpose being worked out here below? And if that purpose includes living beyond the grave, that it might be wise to prepare for it? The Bible claims to be the expression of the Creator God, the one who made all matter. So what does this book say about our potential future? 
It tells us that man is made of the dust of the earth, something else that science agrees with. Yet it tells us we can live again. Notice what the patriarch Job wrote in the 14th chapter of the book named after him, beginning in the 14th verse. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. Jesus Christ is a central figure of the Bible, and it claims that he was killed, buried for three days, and afterward resurrected to life again. That is what the Bible tells us, and tens of millions around the world believe this to be true. But is it? If one man can be resurrected from the dead, then we must conclude that the same is possible for others. But is this true? We dare not follow a crowd in an elaborate lie, but neither should we reject something so important without looking at the facts. That Jesus was resurrected three days following his death is an extraordinary claim, one that should not be either accepted or rejected lightly. In the short remainder of this program, I'm going to give you something to think about. Consider. Ten of the men who were closest to Jesus gave their lives as martyrs. Now we know that many men and women have died for a cause they believed in, but consider these men. Above all others, they knew whether Jesus was resurrected or not. They saw him crucified, and they saw him resurrected. It's one thing to give your life for a cause when deceived, but would they have given their lives for a cause that they knew to be nothing but a lie? Consider, his own brothers didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. Contrary to what many believe, Mary did not remain a perpetual virgin. After the birth of Jesus, she went on to have at least four sons and two daughters. In John 7, we read the following, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Yet after Jesus was raised from the dead, his brother James went on to become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And his brother Jude wrote a short letter that became a part of the scriptures. Why such a turnaround? Would brothers who didn't believe in him while he was alive suddenly believe in him after his death, unless something profound happened to change their minds? Seeing him die, be in the grave for three days and three nights, and then alive again was enough to convince them they were not deceived. Consider, the resurrected Christ was seen by more than 500 people. Notice this in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning in verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the Twelve. After that He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or died. After that He was seen by James, then by all the Apostles. Then last of all He was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Notice that among the 500, that the greater part were still alive when Paul wrote this in the early 50s AD. 
a little over 20 years later. Consider, an enemy of Christianity became one of the greatest advocates. Paul was a persecutor of Christians, and he was a zealous one at that. On his way to Damascus to arrest and prosecute followers of Christ, he was struck down supernaturally, and his life would never be the same. After that, he suffered greatly to preach Christ and his resurrection. Would you turn your whole life around and suffer the things he describes in 2 Corinthians 11th chapter, beginning in verse 24, for something that you knew to be untrue? From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Even Paul questions the rationality of putting his life on the line so often. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 30 tells us this, And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Yes, Paul was convinced he would live again, and was willing to give up everything to obtain that reward. These men were not playing games. They were willing to give their own lives because they saw the evidence, and they have become our evidence. They were alive when these events took place. They were not reporting a vague sighting. They knew these things to be true, and they put their lives on the line as a result. They were educated men, in some cases men who did not believe in Jesus when he was alive, but they did after they saw him raised from the dead. There's far more that can be said on this subject, and that's why we have a most informative booklet for you to read. Your Ultimate Destiny gives you, as no other piece of literature that I know, the very meaning of life. It shows what God's ultimate plan is for mankind in general, and for you as an individual. I'm fairly certain you have never read anything like it. Please take note of our contact information to request or download a copy of Your Ultimate Destiny. It may be the most important piece of literature you've ever read. To discover a more meaningful life, don't put it off. Contact us right away. And be sure to come back again next time at this same time and station, where Richard Ames, Wallace Smith, and I will give you more good news of tomorrow's world and the purpose of your life. See you next week, right here. To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org to read or order your free copy of Your Ultimate Destiny. It answers the question of why you were born and the amazing purpose for your very existence. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-784. 7895. Or by writing to us at Tomorrow's World, PO Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M 0P6. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, revealing God's principles for living an abundant and happy life 
while providing insight into current and future events. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call 1-866-784-7895. Call, write, or visit us online today. This program is a production of The Living Church of God.